Design Conversations are a series of podcasts containing recorded conversations with preeminent Australian designers across a series of design disciplines. And if not designers, then those who have had an integral role in Australian design. The series is aimed at preserving an oral history and archive of mid-century design undertakings and to provide an understanding of what it has taken to achieve some of the amazing outcomes in Australian design history. I'm joined in the conversation today by a long-time colleague, Geoffrey Newman. Jeff has been a state director and a deputy director of the Industrial Design Council on Australia on two occasions, in both Victoria and, uh, and South Australia. Jeff trained in uh, industrial design at RMIT in the, uh, the late 50s, I believe, and later worked at Myers under Don Ward in store planning. His career at the Design Council made a significant contribution to the advancement of design in Australia. So welcome to the conversation, Jeffrey. Thanks. Good afternoon. Yes. Thank you. Um, so I'm hopeful that I got your, your background and your history correct in that regard, uh, that you did yes. study at RMIT, yes? I think you were particularly generous. And <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, your studies at uh, at RMIT. It was a great course at that stage, but it had only been going uh, or less than a decade, I think, when you must have joined the course. Uh, yes, 1953, I was into that course, and at that time it was very primitive, is how I'd describe it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was... Uh, Really, the course had been created by uh, artists, and so it was heavily orientated towards sculpture and pottery and drawing and fabric design and all that sort of thing. Uh, yep. and it uh, was very primitive, is all I could say. We learned things like engineering drawing in the engineering school. We used there a T-square and a set square, it's probably something people don't even know what they are now, and a thing called a drawing board. Computers, of course, hadn't been dreamt of. You've forgotten the French curve. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there was wooden pattern making uh, and aluminium casting we had in, the, in a foundry that was at the end of Bowen Street. That's the main street that runs through the middle of RMIT. And... Uh, in the foundry, the only protection you had when you were working with molten metal uh, that you were casting, uh, the only protection you had was a dust coat. Health and safety, health and safety weren't part of the course. And, uh, the course was, I suppose, starting, when I joined it anyway, it was a different time altogether to what people know today in that it was before particle board before ballpoint pens, TV, thongs, party, pantyhose, miniskirts, uh, and sunscreen, unfortunately. That's why I'm having things dug out of my back constantly these days. Oh, you uh, see what we, we missed out on. <laughs> yes, I used to be a mad surfer, so it, unfortunately it's coming home to haunt me now. Mm -hmm. But uh, the art school, was, uh, to me, uh, I, I'd started off life 
being born into a middle-class family. I was very privileged in that regard. In that regard, <coughs> sorry, that's my coronavirus coming on. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a very well-equipped workshop uh, and I had lots of early experience of a lot of different machinery. My whereabouts, was, whereabouts was this, Jeff? That was in a little town called Mohi. Now it's got 20,000 inhabitants. Right. Then yep. it had about 900. And uh, my father uh, was very supportive of my every endeavour, right from my earliest days. Uh, his role was that he was responsible for the lawn electricity generation establishment of can I can I just stop you? Can I just stop you there, Jeff? Um, yeah. I grew up in a little town called Yalorn. Oh, you're kidding! And my oh. father was also with the SEC. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah Dad so. ran that operation down there. And, uh, yep. But to avoid pollution, we moved to Maui, uh, mm-hmm. and I went to the local school where, for instance, unheard of these days, there were forty-five kids in my class. Gosh. Um, Many of them came from poverty-stricken families and there was no social security, not in those days, so they often came in bare feet and in winter in bare feet. Yes. People have got no idea today. There was no heating in in the classrooms, of course, and if you were lucky enough to have one, you wore your overcoat. And uh, we also learned at that time... Uh, to write in copper plate script on a slate that was about the size of an... It had a little wooden border around it and it was the size of an A4 sheet, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And you wrote on it with a a slate pencil and uh, uh, if you're unlucky enough to want to write left-handed, well, you got the strap. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it was different. The most significant thing I, thing I learned at school there at Maui was in fourth grade where the, we were told that there were six and a half million people living in Australia and that was the maximum the country can bear. Whack up. <laughs> now there are six million or near about living in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And but still, Australia's total population for the whole country, living in the sixth biggest country in the world, is still only about the population of Bangkok. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Jeffrey. Was it a happy childhood? Did you enjoy yourself? Well, yeah, yeah. I had a very supportive family. Yes. Did you have and, siblings uh, at all? Bigger brother. Did you have siblings? Yes, I had an elder brother. He was about he was ten years older than me, mm-hmm. and he was disappeared off to boarding school while I was got to an age to realise that I had a brother, I suppose. And <laughs> uh, uh, the thing about uh, we well, I can scrub round now. We've sort of looked at that, but uh, we moved to Melbourne uh, when I was about. Oh, I don't know, eight, I suppose it would have been. And yep. I continued my unhappy education at a large Ponzi private school. What was the school? Scotch College. 
Okay, yep. And like my other education, I loathed it. Uh, right. And because of my failings in year 11, uh, on the advice of my art teacher, I left uh, and became part of the fourth intake for industrial design at RMIT, and it was then called the Melbourne Technical College. Right, so yes. And it became royal after the Queen, the one with the crown, uh, yes. drove past in 1953. <laughs> okay. And the course, as I said, was in the art school. To me, it was like arriving in paradise because... Yep. After being in an all-boys school, uh, it was like uh, paradise because there were 130 students and about 100 of them were girls. Mm -hmm. The girls were there to fill in time until they could get married. And mm -hmm. Many of them were from, from uh, wealthy families and so they could always afford the coffee. They could pay for our coffee. It was really good. And, uh, uh, very, very, it was great fun. There were eight of us who started the course, uh, but sadly the three girls in it soon transferred off to interior design, which was in the architecture school. Then. And then one of, the, one of the guys dropped out and went to work for the army and another went off to run the local, or not the local, but the, his family's bus company. Mm -hmm. And of the remainder, one became a teacher in a country school and another disappeared into a museum. And uh, I, don't, he didn't, I don't know whether it became an exhibit or not. Uh, during the first year of the course, uh, I was very lucky. I was taken, to my, taken by my parents to Europe for six months. Mm -hmm. And there I saw, I saw the usual collection of museums and so on, but more importantly, and something that stayed with me forever, was seeing the appalling uh, destruction, the, the wartime destruction that had been brought on by pattern bombing and firestorms in Germany, where whole cities were missing. It was yep. incredible. One, on one instance, I was standing on what would be the equivalent to the Melbourne uh, Parliament House, uh, and I could see down to let's say Spencer Street, and there were, and then north and south, and there was nothing there, just clay and streets marked out with bitumen and trams running back and forth along those streets as they connected outer suburbs. Gosh. Very spectacular. Mm. A terrific mm. lesson for you uh, when, when you're 13. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, lots of experiences like that one and uh, another one when I was 13, the same, about that same age, when I came across a bloke who'd blown his head apart on the beach at Summers. And oh dear. that was another experience that added to my life and also having to help the undertaker carry him up to his ute afterwards. Um, mm. Other events, you know, I've had other events like someone pointing a gun at my head in the middle mm -hmm. of the night and saying, I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. uh, those sort of things influence your thinking about all sorts of 
things. I, I guess they... To, related to design as well. Sure. I guess they take your attention at the time. <laughs> yes, yes. It did, it did focus me. <laughs> Tell me, who are some of your fellow students? Do you recall any names? Oh, yes. There was a... Uh, there were the three girls I can remember best of all, Jer Jessica Cheel and uh, um, Pam Wood, who unfortunately she's died quite a long time ago. Uh, David Terry was there briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, and what else? Uh, oh, I can't remember all the other names. Des Fleming, he was the one that went off to teach. Uh, yep. They were nice blokes. Uh, yeah. we, got along, we got along really well. Well, it's interesting. It was just the fourth intake of that course, established in 1948, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and that first intake, of course, had some celebrated people like uh, Clem Meadmore and uh, Ted Walsley, uh, Jack Crow and so on. So um, um, it, it obviously was uh, finding its way and it changed, I guess, a little uh, four years on, but probably not too much. But uh, yeah. it, was a, it was a good experience, though, uh, Jeff, I guess. Well, the girls were anyway. <laughs> okay. Tell me, when you left, um, did you go straight to uh, to Maya? Uh, no, 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 I certainly didn't do that. I, uh, uh, I'd spent four years doing a course Yes, and I was determined to be a designer. Mostly, right. as I said, it faded off to other things, and uh, I decided that I'd establish my own practice. Okay, you get a job when you just finished an unknown course. Uh, I thought I'll, I'll put an ad in the paper, which I did, saying that Melbourne was privileged uh, to have Geoffrey Newman establish his new practice here. And uh, amazingly and joyously, in response, I got to, uh, I did get a response and I got mm -hmm. to design a few gizmos and thingamabobs uh, until uh, the end of the financial year arrived. I didn't mm -hmm. know anything about financial years at that time. <laughs> and yes. uh, uh, all of a sudden I was struck by it. Mm -hmm. And uh, companies that I had some work with, all went off counting their takings for the year. And unfortunately, that meant I didn't have any work and I certainly didn't have any takings. So yes. I, I rushed around and I got myself my first job, uh, if you can call it that, with an English company designing their television sets. So was, who was the company? Uh, Thorne Electrical Industries. Oh, yes, they were fairly celebrated, well-known. Once upon a time, yeah. Uh, but when I say designing, it really wasn't design. It was simply styling or tarting up the plastic bits and pieces that were on the fronts of the tellies. Uh, after a while, I became head of that diminutive little department. And then for some reason, uh, I'll never know why, Robin Boyd recommended me for a better paying job with a die casting company that he knew. Uh, and, but soon after I started, the CEO in a meeting we were having, uh, a group of us, asked me what I thought of a particular product they were making, 
So I told him. <laughs> and about 10 minutes later after I'd been sacked, I found out that it was his design. <laughs> it was a good lesson in doing your research. Yes. Uh, I should have known, really. How did you have the how did you have the connection with Robin Boyd? Uh, what connection did I have? No, how did yes. No. How did he come to recommend you that? I have no idea. And I'm oh. still be, I'm still curious and hope somebody will tell me one day. So it was just, it was serendipitous, let's just say. Yeah. And then uh, I ran around in hysteria because I'd just got married at that time and we had a baby coming. And I managed to score my first what I'd call reasonable job, which was in the Meyer store planning office that you mentioned. And uh, there I was given a team of two, big team we were, and we designed the selling furniture, if I can call it that, mm -hmm. for the new uh, Meyer store that was being built in the new Chadston Shopping Centre. Okay. Uh, Chadston was the first uh, regional shopping centre in Australia and nobody, the board or anybody else, knew whether it would work. And it's turned out to be, of course, the most rip-roaring successful one that's in existence here. Indeed, but yes. Mainly in our work, the three of us, uh, we utilise particle board. Uh, it was brand new then. It was newly developed, mm -hmm. right just when we needed it. Uh, it wasn't pre-coated or anything luxurious like that. And if we wanted to incorporate other materials, like steel tubing, then we had to develop our own fixing systems. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything. Mm -hmm. The board might have been invented, but the, the systems, the fixings, hadn't been at that time. Uh, anyway, at the end of it, I think we probably produced one of the world's first ranges of modular furniture of that time. Our, our concept, I know, saved Meyer about 30% on the budgeted cost, Gosh. which was mm -hmm. a very nice compliment to know at the finish of it. So after Meyer, um, <clears throat> you, uh, how long were you at Meyer? I was there a couple of times. <laughs> I was <laughs> okay. in the middle of it at one stage. Yes. Uh, and uh, probably four or five years in total, something like that. And, four or five uh, years. Mm -hmm. And I uh, eventually I dropped 25% of my salary to go off and join this mad mob called the Australian Design Council. Oh, tell me about that. How did that happen? Oh, somebody in the staff showed me a, an ad in the paper one day and said, hey, this would suit you, Geoffrey. It's right up your alley. You're always raving about the value of design to this country. And uh, I had a look and thought, oh, yes, okay. And I put in an application and went along and they told me how much they were offering and I fell about laughing and said, well, when you jack it up a bit, I'll think about it. I was very offhand because I had a really good job. And uh, <laughs> Hmm? Who, who interviewed you? Uh, Colin Barry and uh, Beth Robeson, who was one of the, who was the information officer. Yes. She was the one that used to tell Colin what to do. Uh, okay. And, uh, 
What else? I don't know. I can't remember who else. I think maybe the chairman might have been involved. And, yep. uh, but I uh, uh, eventually they jacked this salary offer up, but it was still 25% less than I'd been getting. But yes. with a new family, that wasn't much fun. But I liked the idea very much. So I ended up there and it was a really great decision from Fine. my point of view. Uh, what was your role at that point? Uh, designing exhibitions for them. So did you have a title? Uh, probably exhibitions officer or something grand like that. Oh. Everybody was an officer of one sort or another. There were five well. of us. There were whole <laughs> five of us on that staff. <laughs> yes. It was a really big operation. And uh, at first I was designing what I'd call novel attention-getting exhibitions. Yep. Uh, that was the prerequisite to get it, get uh, visibility. And uh, they were for the first Australian Design Centre, and that was in Sydney. Uh, that was in Sydney because uh, the New South Wales government was giving the Design Council a subsidy to put it there. And uh, mm -hmm. anyway, it was good fun designing the exhibitions and because of the workload, I got an assistant, which mm -hmm. was even better. And then my really first, first uh, opportunity came when I was sent to South Australia to establish another design centre. Mm -hmm. After I transferred my family there, I was shocked to find out that there wasn't any money for the project. Fortunately, I've, I seem to have an ability to gain access to uh, and support from helpful people uh, all through my life. This time I got some help from the Australian Governor-General and uh, that was Sir Paul Haslock at the time and then the money started to flow. Right, okay. Around that time, the council uh, was well, just as a side issue, by the way, the, the council was arranging lecture tours uh, by internationally recognised designers. They were to show our designers how to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one, one, for instance, that I didn't like much, uh, Stephen Bailey, who was then the director of Britain's Design Museum, uh, he came and later described Australia as, the quotation was, I've got it somewhere, yeah, was a place, where, a country where most things look as though they're going to be finished tomorrow. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> Very nice. And then another one who sticks in my mind was Dieter Rams. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, noted, well, he'd been a young designer at one stage when he joined Brown. Or yes. People, people don't realise the name's pronounced Brown, but it's spelled B-R-A-U-N. Yes. German, of course. And he was famous for designing their range of shavers and stuff. And yes. They were always finished in black and silver. Yes. And uh, those colours, though, were obviously some sort of fetish with him because uh, uh, 
when when at one time he showed us some pictures of the inside of his home, uh, it was also all black and silver. <laughs> the only colour, the only colour, with a with a little indicator lights on the various appliances that you could see. <laughs> Unbelievable. And uh, anyway, uh, in South Australia, uh, I not long after I set the operation up, I took six weeks of my holidays to travel at my expense to Europe where I met the senior staff. I organised it from Australia to meet the senior staff of 10 uh, different design organisations. Mm-hmm. Two were behind the what's called, what was then called the Iron Curtain. Right. And I must say it was a very informative experience all round. The people were so generous in the time and the information and the frankness that they gave to me uh, that some of those, uh, the knowledge they gave me stayed with me and was useful and has been almost for the whole of my life. At that time, because I had some time, once I got the centre going, I had a bit of time to spare, so I restarted a tiny little design consultancy I had, the one I mentioned uh, uh, that went Dud once the end of the financial year had arrived. I restarted it, uh, and over the next few years, uh, while I had the time, I designed a collection of shops and a cafe and a chain of small music stores and three houses. And later, for my own, and the houses were a bit radical, uh, later for my own use, I designed and built a couple of lightweight competition cars that I, for a sport I can got involved in. Um, what else can I say about South? I was, I was, while I was there, I was pointed to a TAFE college, the board of the TAFE college, where I managed to bring about the uh, creation of the first industrial design course in the state. Okay. And then... After what was that, the, what was that college? What was its name? Uh, South Australian Institute of Art, I think. They had art in the title. Right. Uh, blimey, asking a lot of me to remember back 50 years. <laughs> what was uh, the address of the design centre in Adelaide? The des- address was in Rundle Street. Rundle, uh, okay, well. That was, the, that was the main drag. That was the main, uh, I was just going to say that main drag and main shopping centre. So yeah, you did well right. there. Yeah. But uh, when I, one time when I walked out the door, I, I saw somebody I knew very well. And so I engaged him in conversation and we both stood there having an animated conversation until I realised where I'd met him before. And that was that he was my television newsreader that I saw every night. <laughs> but, but it was that small a place that you could afford. Look. Uh, with a couple of mates who came round one time and at lunch and said, "Hey, look, there's a new, a new pub opened, a, a, an outdoor, uh, what do you call them, beer garden. Uh, uh-huh. We're going to have lunch there. Come round." And I said, so "I went around, and we were sitting there, the three of us, and a voice suddenly said, "Do you fellas mind if I join you?" And we looked up, and it was the premier. Now, not many states in Australia where that happens, but it was Don Dunstan and he was a bit of a revolution for... He was, it was indeed, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, that's so, a, 
At that time, I was also honoured uh, to be appointed by the Minister for Education to a five-member committee uh, to establish a third university. So I, I was pretty pretty pleased that I was asked to do that sort of thing. And what did that university become? I think it's called the University of South Australia. Oh, uh, yep. Okay. I think yeah. so. I didn't follow up much because I left then. Uh, I got pissed off. I'm oh, sorry. I got That's pissed, all right. Disenchanted. Uh, I was pissed off with the, <laughs> with the Really, there was this stultifying attitude from in our national office. Uh, if it didn't follow what the British were doing, then forget about it. It was yeah. being, the place was being run by an ex-brigadier, and one day that I'll never forget that sort of clinched my decision-making was when he spent time telling me how I could get a better result if I used two brushes to polish my shoes. I was lucky. <laughs> so I, I, at that point I accepted a an offer, a long-standing offer, uh, to become the development director of a moderately-sized international retailer. Mm -hmm. And who, who was, was that? Uh, who was that? A firm called Witchery. It sort of oh, yeah. exists still. It, uh, it's still it's still around, indeed. Um, yeah. It was, okay. It was a pretty successful role, taking the company into a new area of business, and I. Uh, I must say that the CEO, he's unfortunately dead now, he was another great influence on me. I had lots of influences in my life, but he what was... What was his name, His Jeff? name was uh, Bob Matthews. Okay. Mm -hmm. His girl, his daughter had been a girlfriend of mine by chance at RMIT. When okay. <laughs> it, was, it was never RMIT when I was there. Uh, and uh, he was the most extraordinarily ethical businessman I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, with people he trusted, he used he'd sign million he'd seal million dollar contracts on a handshake. Gosh, and be yeah. more binding. They were more binding to us than any written. Uh, mm -hmm. With a written contract, you can always find a hole in one of the paragraphs that gets you out of it. But when you give a handshake or when he gave one, that was it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how long were you at Witchery? Only a couple of years. Yeah. I must what? say, I must say, I'm still uh, embarrassed. I, I shouldn't even mention it now. Uh, that I uh, designed what was reputed to be the second plastic coloured plastic bag carry bag in Australia. Uh, it was pretty dramatic. I've got one I could dig out somewhere. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, it was really, really good. It was a very useful advertisement to have people carrying it around everywhere, usually with their lunch in it, I should imagine. Yes. <laughs> and uh, where did you go to from witchery? Uh, then at, at that point I was headhunted by, uh, to become a board director uh, at the Australian Council for the Arts. It was a new organisation then. Okay. And I was paid an obscene amount of money to get me there. And it, 
It was even mentioned in Parliament. I should be proud of myself. Uh, but I soon found that job satisfaction is much more important than the money. Yes, yes. So, uh, so at that point, I accepted an offer by the Design Council to get me out of Sydney at about 30% of what I had been being paid. Oh. And they asked me to return to Victoria to sort out their Victorian operations, which had gone wrong somewhere. And instead of staying six months, I ended up there for 14 years. Oh, uh, gosh. But uh, because it was good fun. It was very... Yes. Uh, what else can I say? In, uh, in my work with the Australian Council for the Arts, I had access to various significant figures in, in the government. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them uh, was in a significant position in the Commonwealth Department that provided the Design Council with most of its funds at that point. So I used him to make an attempt uh, during my first six months back there to bring about some sort of restructuring of the place because it wasn't going anywhere. And whilst a little took place, it wasn't really enough. The council soon returned to its earlier form. And so I had to sort of work around the national office if I could. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I again tried to move, uh, which is what I tried to do in South Australia. I My big objective there was to move us away from being a copy of an English mob, uh, an inward-looking English mob, to uh, an outgoing organisation, an, uh, an outreach organisation. Well, when I got into Victoria, I tried to do the same thing again. I didn't want to be a copy of the English. Mm. It was stupid to go around to manufacturers and tell them, hey, you shouldn't be copying. You should think for yourselves. And here we were a copy telling them not to copy. Oh, mm. So, I mean, hardly a good way of trying to promote Australian design thinking, mm. Mm. help our designers get into some work. The council's devotion to following the English uh, had included a thing uh, where they created a thing called the Prince Philip Prize for Australian Design. Mm -hmm. I remember the council presented one, I think they presented one to the prince himself. <laughs> to, me, to me, it was at about the same level of arse licking as when Tony Abbott gave the prince a knighthood. Really? Uh, <laughs> just, just a farce. Yes. In, in my retail experience, uh, there was an obvious value in that sort of industry, a value of visibility. Yep. And so I set about trying to demonstrate to this design council uh, the value of promotion, of visibility. I mean, it's fine you had a little exhibition in Melbourne, in Sydney and one eventually in Melbourne and uh, we had a design centre in the, down in Flinders Street uh, and one in Sydney, uh, but people were expected to come to it each time rather than us ever going out 
in any way. Uh, so I thought that it'd be a good idea if we got some external visibility because of my retail experience, and I set out to try and demonstrate that to the council, demonstrate its value. And uh, I first conceived of, the first thing I conceived of was, uh, and I got the funding together for a 10-minute cartoon about design, uh, an animated cartoon. And it was released on the Australian cinema circuit and it went on to win an Australian Film Award and later it was sold into 17 other countries. I, I had Alex Stitt, whom I'd been to RMIT with, uh, do the animation because that was his field. And the dialogue by Phil, Philip Adams was sort of loosely based, I suppose, on bits and pieces from some early scripts of mine uh, on my, for my weekly program that I had on Radio Australia. I had one on the Radio Australia for two and a half years. And around that time, I also had one of the very early primitive talkback programs about design on the ABC regional radio. Mm -hmm. Right. Then I was commissioned to write a series of 12 articles about design for the age, and they went over pretty well, but it was probably because they were supported with cartoons by Bruce Petty. I don't know whether you remember him. Oh, pretty yes, noted, indeed. Noted uh, cartoonist. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was also involved in endlessly giving media interviews, which was good. They were an outreach thing again. Uh, and they were often based on papers I'd presented or talks I'd given. And the talks were always about design being used to add value to our raw materials. I'm still yep. waiting for it to happen. A long time <laughs> wait. We're still exporting, we're still exporting our yep. raw materials off. I mean, even our wool, we're still flopping it off to the Italians at, for peanuts and buying yep. it back at thousands of dollars a kilo yes. for beautiful fabrics and yes. dresses. And why don't we convert it? Our iron ore oh, our, makes you weep. Uh, yes, yes. And, and that, so I was always talking about that sort of thing. And uh, I uh, also, at the, around that time, uh, because we were starting to get some visibility and notoriety, I was able to launch a, a product development program or course for industry itself. And, uh, and I was charging each company of 20 grand to come along. And uh, when you had a few companies coming along together, uh, you could make quite a decent turn out of it. Uh, yes. I yes. used to provide them with pretty substantial uh, uh, leaders of the different parts of the course. I'm still amused to see some of them these days, some of the younger ones appearing on television and telling people how to do things still. And uh, anyway, they were happy to pay 20 grand. Now it would be probably 30 or 40 for the same thing, but that only came about because we got visibility. Yes. Uh, it was so important to the development of a place. And then... Then there was the creation of the Australian Design Award. And uh, in 
in Victoria to maximise publicity of them. And they were often, had been early on, presented individually in companies' own little boardroom or wherever. And uh, unless the company put a lot of work into it, there really wasn't much publicity about it when you have it in a boardroom. <clears throat> so we uh, set about having them presented annually uh, in uh, big events, uh, usually with hundreds of people in a big dinner in one of the major hotels, and we'd have somebody like the Premier make the presentations of them. And uh, that uh, gave us the opportunity to have a lot of promotion about the event. Uh, I always had, right from the beginning, uh, four or five pages of black and white stuff in the age. Right. Uh, I yep. always picked the age because that would be our market. And then uh, uh, the major one I got was a double-page, full-colour spread about these products that had won awards. Uh, in the in the age in the centerfold, and uh, it was a first for the age, and certainly a first for us. Mm. And it added a hell of a lot of uh, visibility and notoriety to the council. And, uh, Rough, roughly, look, what year would that have been, uh, oh Jeff? Christ, another one of these <laughs> terrible questions. I just deduct about 40 years from what the date is now. <laughs> so uh, about the, the 80s, prob yeah. Probably the age would be able to tell you when they bought first bought their, their new uh, full-colour printer yes. uh, because they didn't have such a thing before. And I was able to get a really good deal because they wanted to promote it and I wanted the promotion. So it's a very nice, nice arrangement. Yes. Uh, another time with a, one of the presentations, I uh, arranged for a, the production of a very large audio visual. And in, it was so bloody successful that the Australian government bought it to use in promoting Australia overseas, which suited me fine because they paid for the, all the cost. Mm. And uh, we got all our money back. We made a nice, sensible profit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the big unfortunate was that the Design Council, uh, its board, right from the very beginning, made a continuous series of mistakes with the appointment of the various CEOs and or national directors or whatever you like to call them. And the last one was the, the best of all. Uh, outstanding in the performance because they managed to destroy the organisation and send it broke in three years. Really, do you want to put a name? Do you want to put a name to that? Uh, yeah, his name was. Well, no, maybe I better not. Uh, I don't want to get sued by somebody. It might have been a brigadier. Do you think? Hmm? He might have been a brigadier. No, no, no. He'd long gone. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, there'd been a succession of people after him. I mean, Colin Barry was the first one uh, and he was pushed out and this brigadier who was, a, I think, a friend of the chairman's was brought in and then there were a succession of others that lasted for short periods. Right. And uh, along came this lunatic and uh, how on earth the, uh, 
the advisory group that appointed him uh, could have done it, I don't know, because he sent the previous organisation he was with broke also. So, so much a second go. So He's, much for so much for due diligence. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they paid for it as well. They paid money for the one yeah. of the employment agency things. That, Gosh, uh, yes, yeah. I I was bitterly disappointed, is how I'd put it, with the failure of the Design Council, because I believed that at long last uh, there was an opportunity uh, for. How can I say it? There was an opportunity waiting uh, to have new product development seen as, a, to me, a critically important national enterprise. Yes. It's on its own, but part of a national enterprise with design moving to the centre instead of always being on the fringe. Mm. And uh, I saw that design... I felt design could be used to link Australia's knowledge resources, its university research, uh, what manufacturing, what advanced manufacturing we were developing here, uh, all those resources, with a bit of government financial support, develop new internationally competitive products for this country. Mm. Then there was a gap for about 20 years when nothing much happened. Uh, and now, fortunately, uh, things are happening, but not, uh, but only because private enterprise is doing it for themselves. Yes. Uh, people, uh, there's a company, I give a couple of examples. A couple of uh, would be uh, crowd called Black Box, yep. who uh, design and make bits and pieces, as they call it, for the television industry. Uh, they got. They have markets all over the world. Uh -huh. got. They employ sixty designers. Uh -huh. Gosh, about, about a thousand employees all up, but sixty of them are industrial designers. In a, there's another company that always appeals to me, which indicates a different approach to selling new products. Uh, that come from Australia, and that's a crowd called WiseTech who uh, make, if you can call it that, software for the control of cargo movements all around the world, and they export that out of Australia. It's another new product from a new industry, and uh, it's great that these new products are appearing. Uh, they're not refrigerators or washing machines or whatever that we were thinking of in my day, they're in products for a new era. Yeah. Using, using equipment that was never there before, computers to design them. Yeah. yeah. Did, uh, did you ever uh, get engaged at all with the Design Academy? I thought you were going to say engaged and stop at that point. But no. No. <laughs> I suggested that we engage with a few ladies a few times, but uh, it wasn't always successful. Uh, sorry, what was the question? I got sidetracked. The the Design Academy that John Button set up in Canberra, oh, yeah. uh, that was in, I think, the 90s. It might have been... Uh, uh, after me. 
<laughs> After you. Okay, then yeah. fine, yes. Um, what a tragedy that was, um, yes. I don't know. I haven't had any experience of it to know whether it was a tragedy or not. Oh, no, it, 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 it only lasted a couple of years and there was a financial scandal and it all got shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for the first time, Button was an extraordinary, had great foresight, and uh, yeah. he'd, he'd set up an academy uh, like the Academy of Sciences. He'd set up an academy for design and uh, development in this country, and uh, we managed to, uh, as a profession, to, uh, to stuff it up. So uh, really, <laughs> and you, you can't raise the spectre of it at all, even 20, 25 years later. The government still doesn't want to know about it. No, no. Although I did think that uh, well, when just before we were wound up, uh, that there really was an, an opportunity starting to exist, mainly I think because of the whoopee publicity and stuff that we'd been getting and uh, starting to be looked at by all sorts of national figures, that there yes. really was an opportunity to move design in from the bloody fringe all the time and afterthought yes. uh, being the core of a new venture for this country, uh, a venture of the country starting to think of itself as a total entity in the production, design and production of products that can compete all over the world. We've, yes. as I mentioned, got a few, but they're too few still. I mean, it... We should mm. be, as I said, we should be converting our raw materials. I was yelling that out a yeah. thousand years ago, but uh, it just sure. happened, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, the, the, they, they wound down the, uh, the design council, unfortunately, and uh, I think they transposed uh, the part of the, uh, the operation to Standards Australia and that yeah. eventually dropped down again to... Um, mm the Good Design Awards, and, and that's simply a commercial enterprise these days. Yeah, I saw that they gave, that new mob uh, gave an award to the uh, uh, Mr Electric Car in America. In um, what's he called? Sorry, it, it's gone, name's gone it, right out of my head now. Elon Musk. Yes, yes, I noticed he scored some sort of Guernsey for for good des international design or something from this the crowd you're talking about. Yes. Uh, talk about weird. I mean, really. I mean, yes. Just... Well, it's like Tony Abbott and the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah, I was just thinking that it fits, <laughs> fits very well. <laughs> that's right. So that's uh, that's moved. And, uh, of course, um, it, uh, it ran, I suppose, for maybe uh, 30 or 40 years because it was a, a concept, I think, that started by uh, Fred Ward and Derek Wrigley and Ross Honan in uh, yeah. the Australian National University in Canberra. That's right. So that was quite a significant uh, yeah. enterprise to come from there. And, uh, well, as, as long as it, it lasted, uh, it did some amazing work and there are yeah. still some very it significant was, uh, people. It was, enjoyable. it was enjoyable to be part of it. it yes. So, like, yeah, a lot of frustration, though, because the, after a while, a bloody, as I said, they just kept on thinking themselves as a copy of an English system and thinking like an English system. And yes, they yes. They should have been thinking of Australia and or like some yes. of our parliamentarians these days. They should be thinking of 
Australia a bit more than they do. <laughs> Absolutely, Jeffrey. No, look, that's been a wonderful recollection, and thank you. You've uh, you've brought up some really interesting points and shone a light on a period of uh, development in this country that uh, uh, was. <clears throat> really quite amazing, I think, and uh, some great achievements. When when you uh, were speaking to me organising this thing, uh, you uh, asked me what I had to tell students at all. Oh, I yes, had, yes. had a role at RMIT where I was, uh, I had one at Monash too, uh, where I was the post-grad lecturer in industrial design. And my continuing and boring message to the students year after year yes. was to, first of all, do your research and do it thoroughly and not taking shortcuts, and then to persist with your work. And to, because uh, to me, persistence is absolutely critically important to the success of design. Uh, yes. And I used to give them an example. Uh, of, I'd sometimes refer to an RMI student, uh, a, a design student, who'd applied to me for a job. And uh, he'd just completed the course. And in my view, he didn't have the experience that I was looking for. So I had my offsider write him a nice... Uh, go away letter and uh, then six months or so later he applied for a similar position again one that we'd advertised and uh, so this time I had to write him a letter and uh, mm -hmm. go away. and then uh, another five months went by and damn it all he applied again <laughs> <laughs> So I was forced to interview him. You couldn't avoid it at that time. And he got the job and he turned out to be one of the better staff I had. And that came about from persistence. He wouldn't have got the job if he hadn't pers persisted. And yes. that's been my message to students, as I said, boringly year after year. Oh, well, that, that's, that's a lovely story. And thank you for that, Jeffrey. Um, I would imagine that your story about uh, doing your research might relate to not criticising a design until you knew the author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. look, that's, that's been wonderful, uh, Jeff. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your Thank insights, and it's been a really enjoyable conversation. And, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Good to talk to you. It's only been about 40 years. Oh, no, you said it's more recent than that. <laughs> no, I think 40 years when I think I visited you in the uh, offices that the council had in East Melbourne in Victoria Parade. Yeah. And uh, that, oh, yes, so that, yeah. that, that's going back away, but it's yeah. been great to, uh, that, great that, to catch those up. Of, those offices were where I was trying to show the design council that it didn't have to have these expensive design centres that it had to maintain. Yes. It could be more effective uh, if it just worked around an outreach program instead. And uh, that we didn't, we had had that uh, design centre in Melbourne down in uh, Flinders Street, uh, but it was expensive and uh, people had to come to it. 
rather than a less expensive method of going out instead using publicity. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, in due course, um, they demolished that office and built Federation Square. So yeah, you're, that's right. you're, you're, you're proven correct. Well, look, that looks like that's probably not a bad note to finish on uh, with okay. that, uh, that great advice. Thank you once again. It's been a, a great pleasure to talk pleasure. to you, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. Okay. Good on you, Okay. Jerry. All the best, Jeff. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As a postscript to this conversation, Jeff wanted to identify the last director of the IDCA, who unfortunately led the council into its final demise. His name was Digby Hughes.